Welcome to episode 24 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. And this episode, we are Jamaica Bound. Brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewing in Hapro. Uh, they've got the cure for what ails you since 2014. Serving in the heart of Hapro nightly. Check them out at crookedeyebrewing.com. Ray Coob here and ready to go, as is my partner in crime with a little pre-1950s Jamaican history month. How are you? It is Marcus in the Darkest, and yeah, Jamaica has an interesting, rich history. It's very vibrant. A Wilmington, Delaware native who is also an author named Howard Pyle described Jamaica. Like, like many another of the West Indian islands, Jamaica is like a woman with history. She has had experience and has lived her life rapidly. She's enjoyed a fever of prosperity founded upon those incalculable treasures poured into her lap by the old-time buccaneer pirates. She has suffered earthquake, famine, pestilence, fire, and death. She has been the home of cruel, merciless slavery, hardly second to that practiced from the Spaniards themselves. Other countries have centuries to grow from their primitive life through the flower of Roth prosperity into the seed time of of picturesque decrepitude. Jamaica has lived through it all in a few years. Now, going back to the beginning, most historians believe that the first Jamaican inhabitants were South Americans who were traveling by boat and ended up falling in love with the island and staying about 2,500 years ago. Smart people. Very smart people. The island was called Zaymaka. Uh And the South American tribes that landed there first were known as either Arawaks or Tainos. Zaymaka means the land of wood and water. The Arawaks were peaceful and simple. They were brown-skinned, black-haired. They had short, physically strong build with broad faces and flat noses. The early staples of the island were cassava, sweet potatoes, maize, fruits, vegetables, cotton, hemp, tobacco, and coffee. Hemp. And cacao. At the beginning. And smoking was their most popular pastime. They were totally chill people, but they were completely destroyed by Columbus in 1494 when he took it as a post. Between slavery and the European diseases, Arawaks were completely wiped out. Did not know that. So Jamaica was a base for the Spaniards for about 150 years. Jamaica was taken by the British in 1655. They freed the slaves, and the Spaniards fled to Cuba. The freed slaves were known to the British as Maroons. And once the British took over the island, they used it as an island to grow crops to send to England, which is why they became such big sugar manufacturers. And it is why sugar became the main staple, because in Europe it was a huge, huge delicacy at that time. And they made a lot of money off the sugar but then there were rebellions and fighting and so all of a sudden you know the people kept rebelling and it pissed the people off and then the quakers came to the island and they ended the slavery the quakers the quakers in 1808 wow they did it pretty much through most of the west indies and the caribbean at that time i didn't know that and they gave full status of freedom to all slaves by the end of 1838. In 1962, Jamaica was granted full independence from England, which was about the beginning of the ska music. I was there in Jamaica during one of their Independence Day celebrations, and it is a festive occasion. That's all I'll say. I bet it's absolutely insane. I bet it's absolutely incredible to witness an experience like that. It's the spirit of the people because they really, truly appreciate the freedom. 
that they have and enjoy there. And uh, growing out of that and the atmosphere that you uh, describe and create for all of us here on the podcast comes this music form. It starts in the clubs. Recording becomes possible. They start to record it. Well, then they could play it on the radio stations. And that starts a process in Jamaican music that really is, uh, it's, it's so simple yet so complex because it's hard to really see it clearly from the outside. So let's take a look at the music of Jamaica in the last, I don't know, 60 plus years. Yeah, it's been going on over there. What's What, what evolved really started in the 1950s, right? About With as Scotland. long as the Motown sound if you yeah, think about even, it even, it was even maybe a couple on, years before yeah in the clubs it was it had to be in the clubs for a couple years before because ska music was getting so popular mm-hmm. that all these people that we've heard about that uh, became record producers early on including coxone became producers because they were going to see these bands and they could take them right down the street put them in a studio and record uh, in those days a very primitive form of recording but still and making records in the process began from that that's kind of where we're plugging in here on the ska front in the 19 19- 50s? Yeah, yeah. mid 50s. That's when the Scatolites started playing together. So if you think about it, that's holy cow, that's 45, 55, 65 years now. Coming up on 65 years, the Scatolites history. So we're going to get Whoa. deeper into that. But I want to talk to you about a central figure in the uh, entire Jamaican music movement from then forward by the name of Lee Scratch Perry. He was born Rainford Hugh Perry in March 20th, 1936, which, you know, makes him a- an old fella, you know? And he wedged himself into the Jamaican music business. He worked for Coxone early in his career selling records because Coxone was the guy who was making all this stuff happen. We're talking about Clement Coxone Dodd, the Dodd family figures prominently in Jamaican music from this point forward, really. it's uh, Since then, it's been their names involved. And uh, eventually, the two, uh, as will happen from time to time in the music business, had some disagreements, and they split. So what Lee did was he went to a new studio, a new home, uh, Joe Gibbs Amalgamated Records. And, and so begins the spreading from that initial thrust of recordings, some of which I'm lucky enough to have on vinyl and a couple on CD from those days. It's just amazing stuff. It is, and it's it's so raw, but it's so powerful. You really, really feel the music big time when you listen to it, especially if you can get it on that early vinyl and that yeah. and that early recording sound. You really, really feel that music. It's wonderful. Well, Lee knew he had something because there was a different way that he was producing records. And he got his nickname Scratch, I think, because a lot of the records actually sounded like what you would credit to a hip-hop record is scratching in rap or hip-hop. Today, it had that sound to it that he would do at his place. And um, eventually, he started his own label. He, he started working with the, the guy who was at Amalgamated. They realized they had something there. And they start getting some hits locally, selling, you know, 60,000, 70,000 records. And it was just that the sound of it was that ska sound, but it was different. You know, that's all I can say is it was different. And you've heard the records. I was listening to one of Scratch's records earlier today, and I just want to kind of start with him. He's a guy who, you know, branched out on his own. He left Gibbs and built his own studio in his backyard, which is a big thing for musicians back then. He started the Black Ark and uh, started to have control over production and, and all the other elements. And some of the people he recorded there, Bob Marley and the Whalers, Junior Biles, Junior Mervin, the Heptones will come up again soon, the Congos and Max Romeo. And he started 
quite a label. And a lot of his early records were on there, but the guy's been recording since 1969 with The Upsetter as his, his first record. And I was listening to one of his last records recorded in 1986 today. All day long, I've just been listening to Lee Scratch Perry. So that's why I wanted to start there. But really, you know, ska is the music that really started the vibration that Marley would later sing about, you know. There was a lot going on with that, and a lot of it was captured mainly by two record labels. We've had a lot of talk about Trojan Records, um, which didn't come around till a little bit later, but they, over the years, recorded and collected an incredible amount of ska and rocksteady and reggae and dub stuff, too. They've, they've stayed current with that. Oh, yeah. That, that label's got a big, rich history, and they've got a great compilation CD, which you have out right here, the Trojan DJ box set, which is a three-CD, 50-track compilation, and it's the music on there a little is bit incredible, of yeah. You feel the island big time on that record. Now, the guy who started Trojan, his name was Lee Gopthal. He operated Musicland Records, and he also owned, it says, Beat and Commercial Records. So he was involved in there. So he pooled his interests with uh, Chris Blackwell's Island Records, which predated him by a little bit. Chris started his label, fell in love with the music of the island, and started in 1959. We'll talk a little bit more about Island in a minute. But what they were doing there at Trojan was making hits. And Chris was all about making hits out of Jamaican music. They had this guy, Uroy, whose song The Originator claims to be the originator of that sound. And uh, a guy named Dennis Al Capone, who was born as Dennis Smith, did a lot of sides for the label. Also, there was a guy named Iroy. And I had to check to make sure it wasn't Uroy at a different phase in his career, like Prince or something. If they did a duet, it was Weroy. <laughs> That's a good one. But he was a DJ, more of a DJ, and you start to see the DJ influence start to come into play a lot more in the whole recording process in Jamaica around this time. And um, interesting stuff there, you know. And they're also, aside from Lee Scratch Perry's own records, his upsetters, you had Tony Tribe and Bob and Marsha, which was Marsha Griffiths, who, you know, we know for, for her later work and records, the great one and only Desmond Decker, who single handedly turned millions of American people and people around the world onto this amazing energy that was happening. Happening in Jamaica. Somebody who did a little bit of that himself, the one and only Jimmy Cliff, not only in albums, but in movies. He's been an emissary for Jamaica for all this time. And uh, the Harry J. All-Stars, the Maytals, yep. you know, the Melodians, Nikki Thomas, and uh, David Ansel Collins. These are people whose family names run all, these artists and their names run all through the Jamaican music history since the 50s. So It's like we're talking about the Motown of the island, if you think about it. Wow, that. how about that? I didn't even think about that before we set off on this adventure. But yeah, we were just talking about Motown, and they kind of took it to a whole nother level. But Chris Blackwell, he planted his flag first. Who were his partners? Uh, Graham Goodall and Leslie Kong. And, um, they were all British, weren't they? Yeah, and they became a, a, a tourist island more since they became an independent country. But there were people visiting Jamaica all the time from all over the world, not to the level they are now. But he was one of those guys who went there and fell in love with it. Dr. No was filmed there in 62. And that That's was right. in the early days of the ska. And you see the music at the little clubs is all the Calypso rock steady and the ska stuff. One of the earliest influences with the Calypso music in America was the great Harry Belafonte. And it was actually his song, Island in the Sun, that gave him the name Island Records. This is Blackwell. I love the music so much I just wanted to get into it or be as close to it as I could and you make a records and you're you're in it. You're in the Jamaican music business and he was. They had a huge hit in the UK 
with this song uh, by Millie Small called My Boy Lollipop. Do you ever remember, remember oh, that Oh, yeah. And that was like their big success in the UK, but it would be nothing compared to what was coming for Island Records. Not to get too deep into it, but th- here's a list of artists that have been on Island. Tracy Bonham, who we know, right? Mm-hmm. Roxy Music. Yep. Bishop Briggs, I don't know. Hozier. Mm-hmm. Hozier's on there. Uh, Demi Lovato. Wow. Fallout Boy. Whoa. So, you know, he stayed current. They've stayed current. The yeah. Killer is one of my favorite bands. I love The Killer. last 20 years. Leona Lewis, you too, needless to say, we could talk about them and Will for an hour. And they were very much influenced by the island sounds of Jamaica. Absolutely. Mumford and Sons, Amy Winehouse. You know, we're talking about Florence and the Machine. Talking about people who are very current and and, in Local H, a band that I loved back in the 90s. Sandy Denny did records for them. Man, I'm looking at the whole list here. Big Shaq, Annie Lennox, Janet Jackson. Are we done? Was that Annie Lennox solo stuff in the AC, like the early 90s AC, like Walking on Broken Glass, which was the first type of stuff I played in radio besides Amy Grant and Michael Bolton? (laughs) (laughs) I got to go back and look at my records. I got all that stuff. Yeah, their history is amazing. But let's talk more about Scott, because I think that's kind of a jump on point for both of us which is kind of interesting because i'm a little older than you and yet we both jumped on to pretty much into reggae music and jamaican music with the sound of ska now for me it was my discovery of reggae that took me back to discover the ska music and start collecting that stuff for you it was the later revival that i was also into which is the two-tone ska revival of the 70s so tell me about how you found out about ska both with the 70s stuff and before it it started pretty much with like the English beat the specials and it was some late night TV show called Teletoons that was on in Denver precursing uh, the MTV days and it would be on Friday or Saturday nights and I was that kid that if nothing was going on I didn't stay out I was at home listening to music reading books and watching TV or playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends those were the (laughs) things that I was doing which is totally nerdish but it was fun doing it and we always had music on and so an older brother sister of a friend turned us on to the English beat and the specials and I think I saw the video for Ghost Town on Teletoons and was blown away I can't remember exactly what the early ones were, but Mirror in the Bathroom was one of the early songs I heard. Um, English Beats cover of Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Tears of a Clown, which is amazing. And it shows you how that soul and Motown feel really carried over into the island grooves as well as influenced all of the Brits in the 70s new wave and alternative scene because that was the music they were listening to and then tweaking it to their uh, sound, whatever they came up with at that time. The two-tone revolution really was what got me more interested in going back before when I found mm-hmm. out the ska music was kind of like go back before reggae yes and that was kind of what sparked it because I was Bingo. a college radio DJ at Trenton State College at the time when all that stuff was coming out and uh, really it, it kind of turned a whole different generation onto that part of Jamaican music and I think it just keeps happening if I'm reading this right I think what we're seeing is every uh, half generation or so there's a ska revival and they now they go back to the two-tone and then hopefully go back to the earlier stuff. And what we're talking about is a, a big wave through the 60s before oh, yeah. reggae. Uh, some of the big names, Prince Buster. We mentioned Coxon Dodd and yeah. Duke Reed. These were the big early man, the big early producers who put together a lot of the basis for the labels we're talking about. And a lot of other little labels that we're not talking about because there were so many of them. A lot of people look at that 60s scene, then the uh, the two-tone revival, uh, which, of course, uh, 
we were just talking about. And the third wave of ska, which involves a lot of bands from the UK and other European countries in the 80s and 90s. So it's not like it's gone away and just comes back every 20, 30 years. What's happened is the fan base for ska music just continues to grow as people put their heads around it. Think about all the parents playing it for their little kids. Yeah. And I've found that with my three-and-a-half-year-old now, bouncy, boppy music like Devo, the Ramones, the Specials, Madness, they get them to bounce and they get them to move. And little kids like that rush of being able to bounce and jump, and it really gets them into the music. And like all forms of music and children, things continue to grow and change. And that happens in Jamaica, too. Oh, absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit more about that. We know what the favorite uh, refreshment of choice is in Jamaica. But (laughs) if you're in the Bucksmon area, and even if you're a little further than that, anywhere near Hapro, Pennsylvania, you owe it to yourself to head on down to 13 East Montgomery Avenue and see the gang at Crooked Eye Brewing. They are our sponsors here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast, and there's always something great brewing there. It's a family operation. The atmosphere makes you feel like you're right at home. As soon as you walk in, you're always meeting new people. And I've been able to make a lot of new friends there over the last uh, many years and uh, one of the things I like to do there when uh, is uh, a monthly vinyl night I, I'll get the date on the next one and put it up on the Facebook page you can go to the uh, website at uh, crookedeyebrewing.com and find out what's on their entertainment schedule and there's always something tasty on the board isn't that true Marcus you've got some favorites there already from one visit one visit and I'm hooked on the black eye stout absolutely hooked it is delicious if you're an adventurous drinker try Extortion 17. It's a uh, team brewing effort that Jeff put together recently, and it was just released up there. And if it's still on the board, you got to have one of them. Or the Brit. He does an amazing thing with extra special bitters. When I went with Iron Maiden to England, I'll tell you about that sometime. I acquired a taste for uh, British bitters. And Mo Hoppy. It's got to be Mo Hoppy. I wonder how he keeps it from being like, you know... Like I ate a a lemon time, but always tasty brews. Yep. And don't forget, if you've been there before and you've had the Crooked IPA, it is back. And and you need to know it is better than ever. And then they've also got the County Line IPA, which is a carryover from their friends at Neshemini Creek Brewery. Yeah, because everybody likes it, so they've kept it up there. And also as a thank you to their friends at Neshemini Creek for helping them out. That's what it's all about. The community at Crooked Eye, they have the cure for what ails you since 2014 right there in the heart of Hapburg. Stop on by and make it Crooked Eye. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons... Or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good. Well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Well, I would say that the rock steady generation of Jamaica had a different way of putting on the crooked eye. <laughs> and uh, there was a pretty righteous thing going on there as far as uh, a music scene and the clubs were packed and Jamaica was enjoying its newfound freedom in the 1960s. And then some changes started to come. Some guys started to come out and play and thought something a little bit different where the, I don't I forget what the actual musical form is. I think you kind of lay back on the third or something. And, and it was, they started calling it rock steady. Because that's what the, the difference between Scott, which was total full gate, you know, you would just rock steady. So that became what the name of this little subgenre of Jamaican music became. And it was really, in my mind, the bridge to reggae. It wasn't as hard as ska, because if you listen to some of that early ska, there's a hard sound to it. The drum beats were on the second and fourth beats, and four four-time guitar on the second, third, and fourth beats. And it was a crunchier, harder guitar Look sound. Look at you, music nerd, coming I up know, with all that totally. good shit. Well, and it was also in, in, in the grooves. It's always in the grooves, right? And you had people like the Heptones, who also, by the way, took the next step up to reggae or down the road to reggae, the Melodians and the Mighty Fishers. And a lot of the other people that we've been talking about were still figures in the production part of it you know with with all the different groups that were coming along and that continued to evolve to uh, what we call reggae now bob marley had been around and uh, toots and the maytals had been around they kind of made their way up and they were um, starting to get pretty well known for you know playing the the blue beat music playing ska that kind of stuff but i think they all acclimated to the rock steady sound pretty quickly don't you i do because you see the quick turnover from ska to rock steady and then a year later you've got the reggae sound infiltrated into the music scene as well yeah it was a quick moving pace unlike some forms of music when it comes to the history with reggae you can put your finger on the the beginning of reggae per se the music was already happening but uh toots and the maytals had been around for a while and they did a song called do the reggae and uh, it was the first song that was released with the word reggae kind of named the genre and it kind of flowed from there amongst the early reggae artists were a lot of people who believed deeply in the Rastafarian religion it had been in Jamaica for a long time and it had an element of pan-Africanism in it and look to uh, Heidi Selassie and Ja'ad Rastafari and uh, it had of course uh, ties to the that was the church that had the, the sacrament the Rastafarian yeah, church Coptic uh, Coptic, Coptic. Church, church which right. used uh, weed as one of their sacraments uh-huh. so it all ties together and uh, they're all kind of feeling it and people are making the move to this this new kind of way of playing and that's when you see um, people like Bob Marley and the Whalers go from being less of a stand-up group and being more of a, a Rasta group even the Scottalites made a bit of a move to reggae Toots and the Maytals we mentioned and so all this is happening and of course Lee Scratch Perry's in there making records and they're all influencing this thing to go forward. Still, it's all just happening. It's happening in other territories in the world, I think, because Ireland had uh, subsidiaries and had Bob Marley and had subsidiaries in other parts of the world. But it had not yet crossed to the United States. And uh, there was always interest in Calypso music, but I don't think people understood what Jamaican was about. 
Jamaican was a little bit of Calypso, some Caribbean Mento. It had the African beats, like you've mentioned, the jazz, plus the American R&B. Coxone Dodd spent some time living in the United States, and after he lived in the United States in his early days, he would get records from like old soul and R&B records shipped to the island, and he would Uh, sell them there to make a little bit of money. Well, there was a whole industry for that because there wasn't a direct distributor to small countries from the U.S. then. True, and if you think about it, that early club sound and that early rock steady sound is the precursor for what we got with the hip hop and the beat sampling and much of that. And Coxone Todd, in a lot of ways, is like the Barry Gordy of the island in so many ways because of you his look at impact. Yeah, and he was there for a long time doing it at a high level, as well as some of the other people I mentioned. You know, Scratch, but. Mm-hmm. He, you know, Coxone had a, a, an incredible legacy there. But soon, they're trying real hard to see if how they can break through in America. And a couple of things can kind of conspire. First off, Johnny Nash has a, a big hit, number one hit in America with uh, I Can See Clearly Now. I remember hearing that And sure, it's the song that first made you think about Jamaica because that's the first song we really knew about. It. Then Paul Simon, of all people. Now, Paul's known as a world art, music artist, but at that time, he was doing something a little bit different. He does Mother and Child reunion and he tracked it in Jamaica and a lot of the flavor came in. He used Jimmy Cliff's backing band and uh, that became a thing. And right around that time they're making this movie. You're, you're a gate. You have what? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I did not know that about uh, Simon. I'm totally blown away. So they're making this movie. It's called The Harder They Come and Jimmy Cliff who's an emerging artist uh, was part of it. Big part of the, the face of it and the soundtrack of it. So people start to get the vibe like Jamaica's this cool place to go and listen to the music down there and the vibe and the energy and then something happens because Bob Marley had been recording for years and had not yet broken through in the United States and I remember this I still have the 45 on Atco Records in my collection Eric Clapton covered I Shot the Sheriff got played on every radio station in America and all of a sudden everybody was looking at their record going who's this B. Marley fellow who wrote it because you know Clapton used a lot of different people's songs so everybody was accustomed to that and nobody knew what door they were opening when they picked up a record from B. Marley. Yeah, when they figured out who B. Marley was. Oh, and what's this group? The Whalers. Oh, you know, it's only Bunny Whaler and Peter Tosh. and Oh, my God. So that's kind of the way the door got open here in America through a combination of Johnny Nash and for the hip crowd, the harder they come, and Clapton appealing to the top 40 crowd kind of opened up the door and got people thinking about Toots and the Maytals and Bob Marley and the Whalers. Jimmy Cliff did the song Vietnam that was on his live album and he became a counterculture hero. You know, things like that. The Heptones. Third World. Black Uhuru. Yeah. Some of those. They're on my list Who was too. the guy? Steel Pulse was Steel another Pulse big one. On the dude. Who was the, was the Steel Pulse lead singer the one who shaped his hair like animals when he performed live? Because it went really high. If you want, we can go in the basement and pull out the vinyl from Steel Pulse and we can take a look at that we and we can find, we'll find my Burning Spear records. Ooh. You know what I don't have is a Desmond Decker album because there was never a good collection but I love the Desmond Decker. I've got him on CD. The Ethiopians, the Jamaicans and Gregory Isaacs who we were talking about. He's on that This Is Reggae Music collection and Peter Tosh as a solo artist became the poster boy after leaving the uh, the Whalers, he became the poster boy for legalizing marijuana as a almost as a tourist statement for Jamaica. And he was talking to the people of Jamaica and the government of Jamaica, which stood on its own at that point for over a decade. But he was also talking to you and me and everybody around the world, like you know, it's time to legalize it, man. You got to stand up for your rights. 
I love Peter Tosh. I saw him actually one time. He was the opening band the first time I saw the Stones. You're so lucky you got to see him. It was so great. And again, we have talked about this in the Stones episodes and the Zeppelin episodes. They were all influenced by reggae, and those cats would go see the reggae musicians when they were off. Uh And if they were in Philadelphia and Bob Marley or Peter Tosh or Jimmy Cliff was playing somewhere, they would go see him. They would go see him. They would be at that show guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. And they did it all over. Other artists that uh, caught my ear early on were uh, uh, Dennis Brown. You mentioned Black Uhuru. Uh, Owen Gray, who did Guava Jelly. What a great song. What a great. And this is the one that I want to save for last here on this list, though. The Mighty Diamonds. Remember in the 50s when a black artist would have a hit on the R&B charts and then there would be Pat Boone making it into a palatable record for the white suburban kids? Yeah. Okay. Well, it was kind of like that with a song called Pass the Duchy. And you'll never love... You remember we talked about my grandmother? Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. My grandmother used to go down to Market Street in Philly and buy me records. She brought me home one time on a Sunday visit for dinner. She brought me the Americanized cleaned up version of by somebody I can't even remember who of past the duchy not knowing what it was about and that's what I could thank Nana for stuff like that that's, that's amazing I remember when musical youth did that in the 80s as part of the alternative sound yeah it was a remake yeah and yeah. that's a song that did stood the test of time because it's a great song right oh, it's a no great song it, so. wow but think about all that music there and we're going to certainly take the time to, to do Mr. Marley justice at mm-hmm. some point and, but you look at that music in the the stuff that we've been listening to getting ready to do this episode the impact all this music collectively has made on your brain to the point where you can take a Bob Marley album and put it on or a Toots and the Maytals album and put it on and you can get transported to whatever memory you may have of Jamaica as whether it's a visit or a vibe or an energy and it's really magical that way I think reggae music in general I agree with you 100% and I also think one of the things that stands out to me about the music is it's so honest it is so fucking honest and it's very protesting yep. <clears throat> it's very peaceful it's not angry it's not violent it is peaceful it's almost like there's an, an awareness a yeah. social awareness that comes with the music that you have to be in tune with listen to the words in natural mystic oh yeah by marley it's a combination Get up, of, stand up. of spiritual and religion and humanity all melded together in a unique way and that's the island way it's the only way that most people who've lived there their whole life that's the way they know and good for them because it's a i think a better way than what we see in a lot of places in the world today absolutely if everybody was into reggae music meditation and weed we'd be a lot more peaceful <laughs> We're heading that's that way. for sure. Ah, I love it. Hey, you know, the, the vibe that we're talking about here has continued and continued to evolve as it did. Reggae still is a valid form and still has some activity, but the way that dance hall and dub, you know, it, it started in the, the late 70s and evolved all through the 80s and whatnot, but the way that they would take the vibe, the energy, and then break it down to the beats and some samples and a boom, right? All of a sudden the whole world of producers in Jamaican dance hall and dub discovered their Lee Scratch Perry records or something because all these sounds were on his records without the ability to electronically sample. It was pretty amazing, a lot of it. And I think it's great. The music is still party music. You know, different characters are involved, like King Tubby. But, you know, Scratch is still around. He's, he's getting up there, but he's still there. I don't know how much he works, but he's still there. Wow. And you, you get all these other guys down there. And the road continues in Jamaica because the country can just 
think about it, it's it's not even 60 years old as a country yet when we're doing this, and it's really growing in leaps and bounds as a culture finding its own way and its own music while uh, enjoying a little more of what the rest of the world has to offer as well. You will hear other music when you go to Jamaica, but there's a heavy dose, man. Absolutely. I love Jamaica, and I do love visiting it. Funny, when we went to Jamaica, we actually ended up leaving the tourist area of Ocho Rios to go into the city and get a feel for the oh, real cool. people, and they tell you not to do it, but we went on a nice day, and it was pleasant. We actually met some really nice people and talked to some guys at an art gallery, and it was really fascinating. The Jamaican rum we got at the grocery store for one-fourth the price you see oh, yeah. it on the tourist areas. Oh, yeah. I also brought back some Jamaican ginger because it's spicier than the Chinese ginger, cool. and then I brought back a five-pound bag of sugar because their cane sugar, fresh and unprocessed, is so good for baking. And Not speaking that kind. of baking... <laughs> Yes, we've been Jamaica bound for the last little stretch here, a highway on the internets, and we're going to keep it going here, but it's just about time to say goodbye. I'll tell you what, this is a subject that we will come back to. I think we, I got to get you more into Lee Scratch Perry records, and we're going to dig in on a couple artists and other figures in Jamaican music. As we move forward, one of the things that's interesting, because we just talked to Sherry Thomas on her uh, her podcast, which is called Your Podcast or Mine. Really which cool is a podcast. Funny, I like the title, too. It's, it was a great podcast, even though we kind of stubbed our toe on her on getting out of the gates, but it's, it's a, a fun ride, and you should check her out, too. We thank her her for having us on there so we could talk about all that goes all the deep thought that goes into our podcast <laughs> yep which was fun and no but really i'm joking is. i'm joking because you know we, we think we work we learn but yeah. you know and we we love doing what we do yeah and, and music is huge and we're really just scratching the surface we have so much more to do here 24 episodes and a couple pocket podcasts in and we really have so much to do yeah we do and if you want to plug in uh, it's always easy to tell us that we're completely fucking out of our minds. People have done it many times since we started this podcast. You can do it on <laughs> Facebook. We are the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll on Facebook. And uh, you can get us on Twitter. You, thanks for setting that up, by the way. Yeah, you bet. It was overdue. Yeah, we were um, late to the Twitter party. It's Imbalance Histo, because they couldn't give us an RY there at the end. I don't know. Can you Twitter. believe that? But uh, just search Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll on Twitter. So we're doing that. We're doing uh, also, of, of course, you can find us on our website, Imbalance history.com all different ways to reach out to us and you can get to us through our gmail account there if you hit contact us on the website always able and willing to uh, interact with you guys because we are learning stuff all the time and uh, we learn so much just to talk to you about some of these things that we talk about and we want to know uh, if you're getting it if we're getting it right and what else you want us to do absolutely we know people that are out there listening and that there are people just out there that know way more about these specific subjects than we do so if we botch something or if there's right. a detail that we left out that will maybe clarify a picture we would love to know all of that so please share it with us that's why we came up with the pocket podcast update so that we can correct ourselves or you can add in so we'll uh, be glad to add your comments to uh, the correction mode here and see we're imbalanced yep. so there's that and then on top of that you know it's rock and roll so there's that so we we just try to have fun with it and we thank you guys because we see that you're downloading it and you're listening to it and we thank you very much definitely and again we will give you props for correcting us and if you want to learn more about reggae there's a study you can find online called The Importance of Reggae Music in the Worldwide Cultural Universe. Read it. It is wild. There you go. 
a great way to learn from Marcus in the darkest. <laughs> Thanks to Crook and I Brewing and Hapro for sponsoring our Balanced podcast. We have some fun doing it, and apparently they like it too. So thanks to the Pauls and everybody down there at Crook and I. It's just about time to go and close down episode 24. Where will we go next? I don't know. That's why we continue to do this crazy thing. It's going to change at least three or four times between now and it then. It usually does. <laughs> All right, I'm getting out of here. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marks in the Darkest. And we'll catch you next time on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.